If you've been here for the last two weeks, you know that we're in this series, this series called uh, Won't You Be My Neighbor. Um, we've had some awesome sermons over the last two weeks. We had Alberto uh, opened us up a couple weeks ago, and man, he, he talked about the story of the Good Samaritan. And the thing that he was really trying, I, correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the main things he wanted us to take away from this was that we, as Christians, we need to be willing to enter into the mess of our neighbors in our neighborhood. We need to be willing to, to enter into the issues, enter into the muddiness and the messiness of the world and everything that's going on. But as we do that, we're called as Christians to remain distinct and to be in the world right, but not to be of the world, and to be different by being known for the love that we have for the people around us. That's how we're called to, to, be, to be different. He taught us about the importance of that, of loving our neighbor in that way. And then uh, last week, Wendy spoke, and it was a powerful, challenging message where, you know, she, she talked a lot about the idea of the incarnation. The incarnation, which is um, God in heaven, coming down to earth in human form, in the body and in humanity of Jesus Christ, and entering into the world. And the words that she used was, Jesus, uh, he left his place in heaven, and he came down and went into the neighborhood. Right? That was the, the language that she used. And, and she talked about how when Jesus came to earth, he came to bring change. Right? He came to bring changes. But he came to bring changes, not ones that would benefit himself, but changes that would benefit uh, all of the world, all of humanity. And that's the example that we're called to follow. We're called to follow that example of, of Jesus coming down to the world and also entering into relationships with humanity, right? He entered into relationships with other people. We're called to enter into relationships with our neighbors, with our community. We're called to, to, to lead and to love in that way uh, through actually knowing the people around us, actually knowing the people around us the way that Jesus came and lived among us and knew us, knew what we were going through. So um, there were two great messages, right? And then at the end of Wendy's message, she says, now next week, Matt's going to come up and he's going to give us the, the practical applications on how we can do all this stuff. And um, I was sitting there and I did volunteer to speak today. But I was like, they didn't leave me anything else to talk about. Like, they covered so much great stuff. I was like, man, like, where do I even go with this? But uh, so what I'm going to do, what the plan is, I've been in, in prayer, I've been in study, I've been, um, you know, really reflecting a lot on, on what to share today. And I feel like I'm not necessarily going to bring a, a, a new uh, message as much as I'm going to build on the foundation that they've already been uh, establishing for us. So... Uh, before we jump into that, would you all just uh, pray with me? Lord, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for, for bringing us here today. We thank you for the way that you are powerfully at work in our lives and in and through our church and in our community. God, we thank you for the wisdom that you've already given us, the way that you've led us to even have this, this teaching series that we're going through as a church. Lord, that, that was a result of, of prayer and wisdom and discernment by uh, many of the leaders and people in our church as we were trying to figure out what are the things we need to wrestle with, Lord. So we thank you for, for bringing us to this moment, God. We thank you for the way that your spirit has been leading us and has been guiding us. And Lord, I just ask that you would be with all of us today. I pray that, that you would be with me, 
that you would speak through me, that the words that come out of my mouth wouldn't be my own, Lord, but that they would be inspired by you. And I pray that you would open up all of our hearts to hear whatever it is that you want to communicate to us, whatever it is that you want to convict us of, God. Help us to be open to that, Lord. Help us to be open. Amen. How do we love our neighbors? How do we do this? How do we live out this biblical mandate practically, this commandment that, that Jesus gave us himself? He said this is the second greatest commandment after the first, the first which is to love God with all our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. The second most important commandment that Jesus says is to love our neighbor as ourself. So how, how do we do this? That, that is the question that I believe we need to answer. The question that as a church we need to answer, how do we do this as a church? The, the, the church in our country, I think, also would do well to be wrestling through uh, this question. Because truly, if our faith is, is real, if the love that, that God has for us is real, then that's going to be visible and evident to the world by the way that we are loving them, by the way that we are demonstrating this great love that he has for us towards others, the way that we are loving our neighbors. But how do we do it? Well, let's start with this uh, passage from Philippians uh, chapter 2, where Wendy left off last week, speaking on the idea of the incarnation. So in, in Philippians, um, Paul is writing to the church there. And he says, I think we have it, we could put it on the screen. We have it, it's in Philippians chapter 2, if you want to follow along, verse 5 through 8. So here's what he writes. He writes to them and he says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. So Jesus, Jesus was in heaven with God. He was, he, was, he was God. He was equal to God. He was in that place of power. And he left that place. He left that, that position and he came down to earth and he entered into a, a physical relationship in human form with his people. He walked the earth among us. He went through the same things that we go through. He experienced the same temptations the same challenges, the same struggles. He witnessed that himself firsthand. And Jesus, as he went around, as he was uh, participating in ministry throughout the world, there were many people who were following him. Crowds would gather, and, and, and they would go to him uh, seeking wisdom, seeking guidance. And as all these people were, were following Jesus, Matthew 9, 36, it tells us that Jesus saw all these people. He saw all these crowds around him. And he had compassion on them. He felt compassion towards them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were people who, who, were, who were, were being attacked on all sides. They were people who, who were sick, who needed to be healed. They were people who were facing the injustices inflicted upon them by the Roman Empire. They were oppressed people. And Jesus saw them because he was with them. He was in relationship with them, and he recognized their pain, their suffering, and he had compassion. 
And that's, to me, it's very similar. It makes me think of the world today. Because, honestly, we are those people. We are the people who, who are like sheep without a shepherd. And we are in a community surrounded by people who are being attacked. They're being attacked on all sides. They're being attacked with all the different justice issues that they're, that they're facing, all of the different things that culture's telling them that what's important. There's all of these influences around them, and they are crying out. People are crying out and yearning for a relationship with God. They're yearning for, for guidance. They're yearning for love. They're looking for that and filling that void with other things other than God. I believe that we as the church are supposed to be the community that, that, that connects them to that relationship with God through showing them love. And I, I believe that, that one of the first ways that we can sort of start practically implementing this and figuring out what does this mean for us, right, to, to really to love our neighbor is by growing in diversity. I think that we need to grow in diversity. And, and let, me, let me explain and make the connection to break this down for you. So uh, in order for us to, to understand, right, to really uh, be connected to all of the different struggles that, that people are going through in our community, we need to, to enter into relationship with all, people from all those different backgrounds, from all the different spheres of society. All of, uh, all of those struggles should be represented in our church. We need to make sure also that we're providing a space, right, for people from different backgrounds and people that are going through different things to, to come in and to be a part of who we are, to be welcome here and to have a seat at our table, right, to, to have not just a, a place to worship, but also to have a, a position of, of power, a position of influence. Because if we, if we are a church that, that doesn't reflect the diversity of our community, if, if we're a church that's uh, one type of people, then the certain struggles and things that other people and groups in our community are going through, they're not going to be very evident to us. We're not going to be uh, aware of the things they're going through, and we can run the risk of sort of creating uh, an environment that is more for our own advantage rather than for building up the shalom, the peace, the justice, and the equality for everyone of our neighbors, for everyone in our community. We run the risk of... of, of uh, creating an institution that's more for us than for everyone. And that's why I think this idea of diversity is so important. Because if we're uh, intentional about creating a diverse community, then there will be influence and power and representation from every one of our neighbors in our church. Jesus, he, he, as he walked the earth, he saw the crowds of people, and he had compassion on, on them all because... He was with them. He was present. He was in relationship with all these people that were going through so many different things. It's possible for us, on an individual level especially, to be in this neighborhood at times and still be separate, still be isolated from the issues that are facing so many of our neighbors. So when that happens, the struggles, the different things that people can be going through, they're not as personal, right? They're not as personal to us. And, and I wonder if, if without that personal connection, are we going to be able to, to grow in compassion that's going to give us enough uh, energy, enough passion to confront these issues effectively? 
one example that I'll give you. We know that, that right now, um, everyone should know. If you don't know, I, everybody knows. Everybody pays rent, right? Does everybody pay rent? New York City is in the midst of a serious housing crisis. There's more shelters right now. There's more people living in shelters right now than at any point in New York City's history. 60,000 people a night are sleeping in shelters, one-third of which are children, okay? There's, uh, there's more homeless people than there's ever been since the Great Depression. Last school year, any of you that, that work with schools, are in schools, principals, anybody that's connected to schools knows this, too. One in 10 students in the New York City public school system were homeless at some point throughout the year last year. That's 10% of our kids don't have a roof over our head, over their head. Now, these statistics, they're, they're heartbreaking. They're, they're a difficult thing to reconcile, to deal with, to accept. Um, but I believe that if they're just statistics, if they're just numbers on a paper, if it's just an issue like that and it's not real to us, are we going to face it and confront it with the urgency that we need to? And that's why I believe that this idea of diversity is so important. You know, this issue itself is personal to me because it's something that, that I went through, that Kayla and I went through. And uh, praise the Lord, there was a few of you in our church, you know who you are, who really came through and did everything that you could to make sure that, that Kayla and I were provided for, to make sure that we had a roof over our own head. And we are ex like beyond grateful. We will never be able to thank you enough or express our gratitude enough. And that's a beautiful thing. That in and of itself is a great illustration of what it means to make sure that everyone is experiencing shalom, that everyone is taken care of. But I think that we need to figure out how to not just take care of ourselves internally, but how to extend that and make sure that we're taking care of our neighbors as well. We're making sure that all the people in our community have a roof over their head. About a week and a half ago, um, I got a call from a kid who, who I've coached uh, in soccer and, and had a friendship with for about five or six years now. And he called me. He was kind of uh, frantic on the phone. And he was like, Matt, Matt, I need your help, man. I need your help. And I was like, what's up? What's going on? And he said, you know, uh, my mom, the person who my mom rents the apartment from, they said we got to be out. We got to be out in three weeks. And they have until November 24th to leave. It's a single mother with um, three boys, and she's got nowhere to go. And that's right now. I was texting with them yesterday. They still haven't found anything. So if anybody knows, knows anywhere that, that, that this family could sublet, whether it's in the Heights or in the Bronx, um, please let me know. Uh, but for me, that issue is so real because I'm, I'm in relationship with kids who are facing this, who are, who are struggling in this way. And I believe that it's just so important that we are a diverse community, that we're building a diverse community so all the different issues, all the different uh, thing, injustices that people are facing are represented in, in our church. And obviously, housing is just one issue. There's, that's just one example that I gave, but there's many different issues that, that we need to, to uh, be confronting. So um, that's the first thing, grow in diversity. The next thing I think we can do to, to practically love our neighbors is make sure that we understand the issues. We need to understand the things that are going on. In Romans 12, 2, Paul writes to the Romans, and he tells them, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. The patterns of this world are rooted in sin. They're rooted in sin and they're broken. And these patterns are, are reinforcing the inequality that exists in our community and in our country. We can't do anything to confront these issues. We can't challenge them. We can't change them if we don't understand them. We can't do God's will. We can't live out this idea of loving our neighbor until our minds are transformed by the truth. So what does that mean for us? Uh, I, I believe that it means that we need to, to learn and understand the true uh, historical narrative of our country. We need to learn about sin and how it's manifest in the systems and the structures of the institutions in our country. Not just, uh, it's not just an individual problem. Loving our neighbor, it can't only be greeting people in the hallway or being nice to people that we see on the street or carrying ourselves in a certain way. Though I do agree that that is important, that that is part of the Christian life. That is, you know, one of the ways that we are known for the love that we have for people. But if we're, if we're really interested in answering this question that we've, talking, that we've been talking about of how to, how to love our neighbor and create shalom, shalom, which is the Hebrew word for peace that's used in the Bible, which means complete flourishing, Complete flourishing for everyone. Complete dignity for every human being. No injustice. No inequality. Right? If we're, if we're, if we're really trying to figure out how to, to love our neighbors in such a way that they are able to flourish, then we need to confront also the systemic sin that's present in, in our culture and in our community. We need to learn about these issues. We need to learn about things to be able to understand them so that then we can confront them. So a few years ago, um, I was visiting my hometown, St. Louis, Missouri is where I'm from. And uh, my friend, who's you from St. Louis? I'm from Missouri. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so you, this might be familiar to you, some of what I'm going to say. So I was, I was visiting my friend in St. Louis. And uh, on Saturday night, he calls me up and he's like, hey, you want to go to church tomorrow? I'm like, yeah, I like church. I'm a Christian. I work, I work at a church. I guess I should probably go. Um, listen to my thing I said at the beginning of this. Um, so I was like, yeah, let's, let's do it. So he picks me up on Sunday morning, and we drive about 30 minutes north up the highway. So if you, if you know the region at all, you might know the region. I don't know. So uh, I'm from North County, which is, is, a, is an inner ring suburb just north of the city, right? And we drove 30 minutes further north from that into an even further distant suburb outside of the city. And the, the route that we were driving on, the path, the literal physical road that we were taking to get to that community where that church was is the same path that White Flight has taken through that, that city in that region. So if you don't know what White Flight is, that's the first thing you need to start learning and understanding about. Um, there's insane amounts of housing discrimination that's happened in our past that has set different patterns of migration into motion that are rooted in sinfulness, right? And so that's all going through my mind. It's maybe not going through my friend's mind, but that was going through my mind as we're driving up to this church. And we get to the church, and we go in, 
and you know we're sitting there and it's a good service like gospel-centered teaching um, good music everybody was nice you know it, it, it was a solid church like I, I didn't have any issue with anyone there or anything about it but I couldn't help but notice that every single person in the church was white every single person and it occurred to me that this church would not even exist here if it wasn't for the racist patterns of migration that took place in this city. There would not even be this physical community in this location. And in that moment, I just saw how the patterns of this world were the foundation that the church was built on top of, which seems to me to be completely contradictory to this passage that we're hearing right now. But in order for us to reverse that, in order for the church to be the foundation that transforms those racist patterns and things that are evident and present in our society, we have to understand how we got there. Because it's not about individual racist people or prejudiced people, you know? There was nothing in that church of people that was like, oh, these people are racist or prejudiced. Some of them probably were, but that, that wasn't the point. The point. The point is, yeah, it's not the issue. If you're not, the, here's what's scary about it. You don't have to be racist to reinforce a racist structure. You don't have to be racist to perpetuate inequalities, to perpetuate the breakdown of shalom, of peace and flourishing for all people. But we can't figure out how to change the things if we don't understand how we got to this moment that we're in right now. So that was where my mind was at in that moment in that church. I was thinking through all those things. And I'm going to be very candid with you. I got a gut punch from the Holy Spirit in that same moment. I got hit hard. And I started thinking about our community. I started thinking about our neighborhood. I started thinking about New York City. I started thinking about gentrification. And how gentrification really is the next phase of white flight. It is a, a pattern of migration that's rooted in systemically racist and classist patterns and structures. And I started thinking, Lord, and praying, Lord Jesus, help us not to be a church that comes into a neighborhood and that is built on top of this racist and systemic pattern. Help us to be a community that can transform it, that can come in and can establish a new reality, a new peace and flourishing and shalom for all the people of our neighborhood. We need to broaden our perspective. We need to learn about these things so that we can be aware, so that we're not ignorant of how uh, our presence, how the way we spend our money and the way we spend our time and where we choose to live and all these things are affecting our neighbors. We have to think about this in a more large, structural and systemic way. And there's not easy answers. I'm not saying that, you know, that because there's gentrification, that means, oh, I shouldn't move into a certain place. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying we have to wrestle with the tension. We can't be afraid uh, of entering into the conversation, of avoiding it. We have to be aware. We have to be conscious of these different things. That's part of, of our call to love, to love our neighbors well. So some of the ways we can broaden our perspective is really by listening and learning from other points of view. Uh, I wasn't going to do this, but I'm going to shout out my, my boy Jay Sangria, Josh Ortiz. He's a great friend of mine, man, a guy who grew up in Queens and Brooklyn. And to be honest, I, I didn't really understand the struggle of what people from New York City go through. 
And so this guy opened up his life to me. He opened up his experience to me. He let me know how these changes that he's seen, how it affects him. How it affects him when, when new businesses come in and erase the old of his neighborhood. And they don't serve the needs that he has and that his family and his community has. These were these, I, I, didn't, I wasn't aware of that. I didn't understand. But through that friendship that he developed with me, I learned so much and my perspective was broadened. So we can do that through creating a diverse community, being around people that have different experiences. I think we can also do that by, by learning, uh, reading from people, you know, learning from people that have different points of view. So Wendy uh, Bennett, our children's minister, this year she's doing an awesome thing. She made a uh, commitment for the year 2017 to not read any book written by a white man. <laughs> so if I wrote a book, she wouldn't read it. <laughs> but this year. But the reason she's doing that is because there's a certain way of thinking and seeing and understanding the world that has been fed into her brain and her heart and her soul. And she's doing this as a way to, to broaden her perspective and to get outside of that one way of thinking. I think that's a great example uh, that we can follow in, in the, the books that we read and the things that, that we're pointing to our minds. I think we can also do this through, through art. Right through through listening to, to music, experiencing art that tells a different cultural story than our own. These things can can really help us to, to challenge our own understanding of the world and help us to, to grow not only in knowledge but also grow in compassion, grow in, in empathy for for what uh, what other people are going through all around us. We won't be able to find truth, the truth which we need to know. The truth is what is going to set us free. It's what's going to uh, equip us. It's the thing that's, that's going to uh, equip us to love our neighbor well. But we can't learn, we can't figure out what the truth is if we're only listening and learning from people who look like us or have the same experiences as us. So these are, the, these are my first two charges, to, to build a diverse church, Grow in diversity, as I put it, I don't even remember how I put it. Grow in diversity, grow in our understanding of the different issues that, that are facing our, our community and the sort of the underlying systemic nature of those. You know, this stuff is, is all foundational. It's all foundational to our ability to go and, and to love our neighbors and to love them well. Um, and so at this point, you might be like kind of, well, what is the pr thinking? What is the practical applications? This doesn't, you know, may maybe it doesn't seem practical enough for you. I don't know. But I think these are very practical things. Uh, but if we view all of those things uh, maybe as, the, as the, the, the training or as the foundation of what we need to be able to do the work, then the work itself, the way that I would say what it is and what we need to do, the work is a fight. So I don't know how I said this. We fight. We got to fight. <laughs> the work is a fight. Okay? We have to be prepared to enter into the fight. Jesus, he came down to this earth, and he fought. Jesus fought hard. He fought so hard that he gave up his entire life, his body. He died for the of, out of the love that he had for the people, for all the people of the world. He came to, to proclaim good news to the poor. He came to proclaim freedom for prisoners, to set oppressed people free. That's why Jesus came here. He came and he fought and gave his life communicating this message of love, of loving your neighbor. That's our example. 
That is uh, the, the God that we follow. That is the God that, that we are a, a testimony and a witness, that we are witnesses to, is that God. And this is a fight. We got to be ready to fight. We need to fight for our neighbors. We need to tear down the systems and structures that are enslaving and oppressing people. And we need to build new ones. We need to build new ones that, uh, whose purpose is not their own benefit or our own benefit or our own name or our own pride or any of those things, but whose benefit is the flourishing of all the people, is the peace, justice, shalom of all the people. That is the testimony of the love that God has for all of us that we are called to be putting on display. So if it's still not practical enough, I'll try to get a little even more uh, practical. You want some verbs to attach this to, like, what do I actually do? What do we actually do as a church, as people? You know, I'm, my head's in the clouds a lot of times, thinking on the, a large scale. What can I do? What can you do? What can we do? I'm just going to go through a, a quick list. The first thing I say that we can do is organize. We can organize. We can come together uh, and join with the, the work that's already going on in our neighborhood, join with the nonprofits and, and, and the leaders who have been in this fight and been doing this work, we can organize together and come alongside them and say, hey, we're a group uh, of Christians. We're here because we love you and we love our neighborhood. Now, you lead us and tell us what to do, okay? We, we need to protest. I'm going to be real. We need to protest. There's corrupt laws, corrupt politicians who are reinforcing and perpetuating a system that, that tears down the image of God in our neighbors. We have to hold those people accountable and make sure that as a community, we're standing up for everyone. And we need to commit. We need to be committed to being in this fight for the long haul. Because there are no quick solutions. There's no easy solutions to get to a, a place of shalom. As a country, it's taken us 400 years to get to this moment. It's probably going to take just as long to get us out of it. We need to commit to the long haul. Okay? We need to be praying people, too. We need to pray. We need to, we need to pray so much that our, our knees are bruised because we're asking our Lord. We're crying out on behalf of our neighbors and our neighborhood and asking God to bring them spiritual and physical liberation. We need to start programs. We need to get things started to meet the needs of people, that, programs that don't already exist. Where we see a need in our community, we need to meet that need by starting something that can help meet it. We need to give, all these things are things we can do, but really we need to give our whole lives. We need to give our whole lives to this cause. And I'm not just talking about everyday church, though I am. I'm talking about, as Christians, this is our call. This is the fight that we are in. We are people who are called to build up God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. We are called to be defined by the love that God has for us in the way that we demonstrate it and show it to all the people around us. So some of us, maybe we need to change our careers. Maybe we need to say, man, the, the path I'm on is not one that's building up shalom for all the people. Maybe we need to, to, to go back to school and, and get more education so that we can understand well, you know, more deeply the, the issues that are affecting the people around us and how we can ultimately deconstruct those things. So uh, those, are, those are some ideas. Maybe they're helpful. I don't know. 
But what I want us to, to, to take away is that Christianity, it's not just living by a, a certain set of, of rules. It's not just living by a set of, of regulations so that we can get a ticket to heaven. Because the truth is, there's nothing we can do to get to heaven, right? Living our life in a certain way to get us there isn't possible, and that's not the gospel. The gospel is that while we are still sinners, while we are people who are completely helpless, who are completely stuck in the brokenness, in the messiness, in the muddiness of the world, Jesus came. He came and he died for us. And through his death, through his resurrection, through him alone, we are now forgiven. And we are welcomed back into a right relationship with God. And now, out of the gratitude that we have for the grace that he has shown us, for what he has given us that we don't deserve, it's our job to go and to spread that message of hope and love to the world. If you call yourself a Christian, this is the fight. You're called to this fight. This is a command that Jesus gave us. So how are you going to fight? How can you live your life in a way that pursues justice and peace for your neighbor and for your neighborhood, for the place where you live right now? We all have different roles that we're going to play in this fight. But in order for us to, uh, to do this uh, effectively and biblically, we all need to step up and we all need to do our part. We need to figure out also how, how we do this as a church. Because if this is our witness to the world, then we should be known to the world. The, the world should know that we're here, right? Because we're, we're actively pursuing the peace of all the people. So if our church t disappeared tomorrow, would people notice? Obviously, we'd notice. You know, those of us that are inside the church would notice. But would the rest of our community notice? We need to f figure out what's the answer to that. And if the answer is no, they wouldn't notice, then we got work to do. We got to pick it up. I'm not saying it is. I don't know. Th just think about it. So uh, one thing that, that I'm doing, that I'm praying about and uh, trying to figure out was my role in this fight. Um, I'm thinking about starting a team, uh, a team of people um, who can represent uh, the evangelical Christians of our neighborhood in our church, and also I'm going I'm to talk to a couple other churches, uh, to partner with uh, organizations and, and networks that are doing justice work in our community now. Um, I, I think that, that we need to be represented. We need to be in those circles, and we need to have a group of people who's present in those conversations so that when we can come and, like, talk to the rest of the church and say, this is what's going on. This is how we can all support, because I know all of us can't do that. Um, but if there's any of you who, that sounds like something you'd be interested in. You'd be interested in being on a sort of a faith-based community justice type of team. I'm not, that's what's in my head. That's the idea. Um, I'm open to any thoughts, criticism, suggestions um, of what this could eventually look like. But uh, get in touch with me. Um, what I, we have my email. I think you could put it on the thing. If anybody wants to email me, if you're interested in this, email me. I think one thing that, that, that we can do, that I want to do for sure, um, is, well, I think in order to do this well, in order to, we need to have a, a strong sort of Christian biblical um, theology 
and, and missiology, for, for why uh, our faith drives us into these conversations on justice. Um, so there's a study that has recently been put out, like a small group study, by the Christian Community Development Association, which we're always talking about. Um, it's like a, I think it's like an eight-week small group study or something. I'm hoping to, to, with anyone that's even interested, they're not sure if they can commit to the long haul or anything, but they want to be a part of, of that uh, conversation and of that learning. Um, I'm thinking of, I'm hoping to start something like that in January. So if you're interested in, in joining that or just hearing, learning more, whatever. I, this is all, right now it's all just in the idea phase. But uh, that's, that's the thing that I'm praying about and that I'm thinking about uh, what I can do and also a way that as a church, we can sort of um, organize and enter into these conversations more. So, um, so yeah, hit me up if you're interested in that.